Hi everyone, you're listening to Something Real. On today's Something to Talk About episode, we're focusing on grace, mercy, and gratitude. You'll notice that we didn't have a something to think about this week. We'll get back on track one of these days. Anyway, enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Good morning, Stacey. Glad we were able to get together in person. Back to our regularly scheduled uh, programming. Unfortunate that we didn't uh, get our podcast posted last week. Um, I'm sure people were devastated. uh, Yeah, (laughs) all three listeners. So uh, as we're um, moving on in in Luke 7, we come to this story about Jesus and uh, what the NIV calls a sinful woman uh, at a at an like interesting a, part. song title. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition from when he was at um, Levi's party with uh, with all the tax collectors and sinners, and you know, oh wow, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Well, now he's at um, he's at a, a a dinner party, so to speak, at a Pharisee's house, and um, and this it's this particular Pharisee's name is Simon, and so he's there uh, hanging out with them. And it comes right on the heels of uh, his, uh, after he had um, answered the question from John the Baptist and uh, as to whether he was the Messiah or the one to come. And then at the end of that particular piece, uh, verses um, 29 and 30 of Luke chapter 7, it says, All the people, even the tax collectors, the, you know, the really bad sinners, uh, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Then he goes on to, to talk about, you know, kind of comparing the people of the generation to, um, this is what we would have talked about last week oh. if we actually did the episode, but uh, comparing them to basically spoiled children who are, they're just not going to be happy. John was too religious, uh, too, you know, he must have had a demon. There's something wrong with his head because he's so austere and, and strict in his behavior. And Jesus clearly is, you know, he's just, a, he's a lush, you know, this right. guy's out, you know, imbibing and partying with all the people, um, which clearly Jesus was never drunk and never uh, gluttonous and any of those things. And yet because he's there and he's just living life normally, Oh, he, he's obviously worldly and doesn't care about the things of God. So then on the heels of that, we find Jesus now uh, in verse 36 uh, invited to dinner with the Pharisees. And he goes to the Pharisees' house, reclines at the table, and in verse 37 it says, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house, uh, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at, at his feet weeping, which is interesting to me, I, I never caught that until this week, that she's behind him at his feet weeping. Uh, and I'm picturing her bowing before him, and I think all the pictures I've seen show this. But she's actually physically behind him, but at his feet. It's it just interesting. It doesn't really matter, I guess, but it, it, I thought it was <laughs> interesting. It's going to be hard to read. I thought so, too. Um, <laughs> Uh, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. That's a lot of weeping. Uh, anybody who it's is... like Hallmark Channel weeping. I mean, anybody who is prone to crying, if you're familiar with crying, there are different levels, right? So you got the, you know, I got a misty eye, you know, from something, uh, which happens to me on a regular basis. Uh, and then there's the sobbing, the deep soul, mournful sobbing that you just can't control. And that appears to be what's going on here. She's in the midst of the, these people, 
and they're having dinner. You know, it's it's a dinner party, so everybody's pretty cash. They're hanging out, they're reclining at the table, doing their thing, and then <laughs> all of a sudden, this woman comes in, just flooding the place with tears. Has to be. It, it seems pretty evident from this that there would be this audible sobbing, weeping that goes along with it. Now, I'm not Middle Eastern, but I'm trying to picture this in this particular culture. Um, Seems like you couldn't ignore it. It's Right, yeah. This is not subtle. <laughs> right. Um, just the fact that there's a woman in here crying on your feet and right. then wiping them off with her hair, this is an interesting dynamic. So um, so she she's wetting his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them from this alabaster jar. Uh, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, uh, the Pharisee, I'm sorry, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what, what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you, which I, I'm, just, I'm just picturing how this conversation is going. So Pharisee Simon is over here whispering to his buddies, yeah, if Jesus really knew this. Jesus it doesn't say that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't say that he heard him audibly. It just says that he answered him. But so it's what, Jesus. So. so, yeah, whether Jesus just, you know, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, deal with this. Right. Um, or, you know, here's the guy whispering, or looks over and sees him whispering, anticipates right. what he, I don't know how that plays out. Right. But Jesus directly says to him, in what I have to imagine, um, has, and it, I don't mean to sound blasphemous with it, but. Smog is the there, wrong there's word. There's <laughs> a little bit of maybe, you know, uh, I'm trying not to say snarkiness, but there, there's a, there's a, there, it's a loaded question. Yeah. You know, hey, uh, I got something for you here. I got something to tell you. The fact that he prefaces it with, hey, I got something to <laughs> right, tell you. Right. Check this out. Exactly. I'm, I'm getting this, <laughs> right. I'm getting this attention right. here. It's, and it I seems have, very cash. And I got to wonder, is Jesus saying this for Simon's benefit or to catch the attention of the room? Because yeah. when the master, who's the guest of honor here, is saying to the host, I got something to tell you. You think the conversations stop then that are going on around the table and all of a sudden everybody's paying attention to what he says. Now probably everybody's attention is on the girl or talking about her. Because right? if she's so, weeping, it's not like people are just going to, you know. Hey, look, look at that. <laughs> look at that chick weeping on the floor. How's that lamb chop? It's pretty good. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, so he says, Simon, I got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He probably regrets that by the end. And Jesus goes on to tell this this parable type question. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. Five hundred versus fifty. All right. So neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, "I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Makes sense. If I you know if I borrowed a ten dollar bill from you and I you know want to pay you back, and you're like, no, it's good. Forget about it." Cool, that's awesome. If I am buying a house from you and you say, don't worry about that, just you just have it, we're just going to wipe the mortgage out. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other level of gratitude, right. totally different concept. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, turned toward the woman, but he's still speaking to Simon, right? So he's looking at her and clearly has the attention that... 
you know, she's caught this attention that's probably negative attention from most right. people. Not that she cares. Uh, man, there's a song, I shared it with the band uh, earlier from, uh, oh, what's his name? Is it uh, the guy that did I Want to Be Different? Uh, Micah Tyler oh, and, oh, oh. and Caden Slay and Charity Gale. Yeah, it was real um, good. Yeah, uh, My God Fights for Me. It was real and good. her verse in that, which is this story, she's like, you know, I'm here with my alabaster and my wounds. And that, that line just struck me. That's where this woman is. She doesn't care about anything else because she's broken and she realizes her sinful life. She's more aware of her sin than any of these Pharisees ever could be. Mm-hmm. And she comes to the master and is just grieving over her sin and weeping at his feet. And uh, so he turns to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came, in, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss or a greeting, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And in verse seven, uh, verse forty-seven, I mean, uh, as he says this, I don't take that to mean that because she's doing this, I forgive her. But it's that she has her, been forgiven, right. that's why she's showing this great love. She's received the grace of God. She understands and it, that, and so now she's pouring out. Yeah, love. this right. this humility that leads to such gratitude. I think maybe that's one of the things that we are missing greatly in the church is a sense of brokenness and humility and gratitude over our sinfulness and the, the thankfulness that, that we ought to have in realizing the price that's been paid for us, which is why um, communion, the Lord's Supper, or what we call the remembrance celebration, is so crucial to, to refocus us, to remind us that, you know, to borrow from, from the patriotic veterans kind of statement that freedom isn't free. It's not. Our life was purchased by his death. We are alive in Christ because he died while I was still spitting on him. While my life was anything but godly. I wasn't even interested. I wasn't seeking. He died for me. To realize that and to let that really sink in changes everything. Right. And if he died for me, then how can I how can I ever thank him enough for that? There are no words that make up for that. The only logical thing then is to live for him. And and this woman gets it. She's like, I don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah, I'm not interested in my pride. My pride is out the window. I know I'm a wretch, and I don't care what you think. He's the savior. He's the master. And I'm going to praise God through this. But she's reached a point where she, I mean, obviously, if you're weeping on the floor, you've reached a point in your life of brokenness. Mm. And like you just were saying about pride, <clears throat> you you can't have pride in that situation. No, you know? no. And I think that's what the Pharisees. is the key. It has right, to be. Right. And the Pharisees, they're all about their pride. Yeah. And sometimes we, when we look at them, uh, we kind of alluded to this you know, Sunday morning, and we've talked about it quite a fair amount recently, that, um, you know, when we look at the, the Pharisees and religious leaders, we, you know, we get this haughty picture, this arrogant picture. 
But really, are they much different than us? Because no. we see them, but we fail to look in the mirror and see our own and it's areas. it's easy for us to associate, oh, the Pharisees. Well, what right. But, but yeah, exactly what you're saying. Right. How, how similar are we? And at this time, they, you know, they didn't have the Gospels to read about this. Right. They're not looking back on it through the lens of these are the people that crucified Jesus the right. way we are. They're looking at it as these are the good people. These are the, the preachers, the priests, the, the respectable citizens. These are the people that you count on. If we could live more like them, then we'd be closer to God. Right. And the, the folks that are constantly, this is one of the constant themes in the book of Luke, um, which kind of makes his, of the synoptic gospels of Mar- Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what kind of one of the things that characteristically sets Luke apart is his constant focus on the outsider, mm-hmm. on the wretched, mm-hmm. on the, the downtrodden, on the broken. Whereas Matthew has a pretty heavy focus from a Jewish perspective for a primarily Jewish audience, and, and you see a lot of focus on the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. All of the Gospels have that. That's a focus for him. For Mark, who's um, who appears to be getting his account from Peter, Mark also wasn't traveling with Jesus, but was with Peter, so he's getting Peter's account um, ostensibly while Peter's in prison in Rome. might be some debate on that, but but it appears that he's uh, getting this story from Peter at the end of his life while he's in Rome and written primarily for a Roman audience. Luke is the only Gentile writer of Scripture, and he's writing for the Gentiles across, uh, all across the, the spectrum here. And as he's focusing on it as an outsider, this is really big to him, to be able to look at this and say, Look who Jesus comes for. He didn't. He came to those who were his own, as John said, and they didn't receive him. But whoever does receive him, he's given the right to become children of God. Right. Even and he really, you really see that come out in Luke's account in the in the book of Acts or the the Gospel of Luke, volume two. <laughs> um, so as he's looking at that, Paul's going to the Gentiles. Even Peter is going to the Gentiles. You're going to deal with all of these outsiders in ways that just couldn't have imagined Mm -hmm. that's huge to him and so we see this response just like we saw in verses 29 to 30 all the people who were burdened by their sins who were broken down who had who knew that they were far from god acknowledged that god's way was right and they had acknowledged that before before understanding christ as messiah they had acknowledged that they needed to turn from their way to god's way that's why they participated in john's baptism which was an identification with repentance. So then the Pharisees, the leaders, the teachers of the law, and presumably anybody else who thought they were pretty good, had their stuff together, if you thought you were godly already, you weren't seeking repentance. Right. right? So you didn't get baptized with John's baptism. Hey, man, I got this together. I'm pretty good. I'm close with God. And so they rejected God's purpose for their lives, God's plan for them. Now we see the same thing in this picture, which kind of it's really kind of an expansion of verses twenty nine and thirty. So I, I'm kind of almost sad that that we broke this up between these these two passages because it really flows into that. That the more sin I have, the worse my life is. The darker it is, the clearer the light of the gospel stands out against it. And when I recognize, if, if I feel like I've got my life together, uh, Donald Trump said. Uh, 
I would say famously, but I don't know how many people actually cared and paid attention to it. But he said during uh, during the presidential campaign in 2016, at one point, it's a line that stuck with me very very deeply. Uh, he said, "I've I've never repented of anything." You know, <laughs> and I'm like. Oh, wait a minute. What? <laughs> Did you just say that out loud? And this is a man, a church-going man, right. who uh, you know called himself a Christian, clearly is not, and I don't say that very lightly, uh, but when you say you've never repented of anything, you're not a Christian. Right. Simple as that. You're not a Christ follower. But why does Trump, why does he have that mentality? Because he is, lives a disciplined life. He doesn't drink alcohol. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't even drink coffee. He doesn't, you know, doesn't drink caffeine. He drinks 12 kind of Diet Cokes a day. So, <laughs> so there's some caffeine. Uh, but as he's, you know, he, he, he doesn't have those vices right, per se. Right. And he's wealthy enough to feel that independence. Right. So just like these folks, you're able, because of your strong position, to be able to say, I got my life pretty together. I don't need to repent for anything. Forget about my divorces. Forget about my, you know, all these other things. I can, I can kind of cover that up, which is exactly what these other folks are doing, because we all have sin. But to be able to say I've never repented of anything means I feel pretty strong in my life. Mm -hmm. But the folks who are responding to the gospel in the Book of Luke, much like today, are the folks who are at the bottom. They've hit the bottom of the pit and and flat on their back, no place else to look, and. Very often, it happens because they get caught in their sin, mm-hmm. just like with the rest of us. We don't repent. We don't confess until some crisis brings it to our attention. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a scandal in the church. Maybe it's you know, uh, you know, we get caught doing something wrong. Maybe it's we get brought up on criminal charges. You know, we have these situations that, up until that moment, we thought we could still hold it together. So, are you saying that you think? Sometimes those situations are necessary. I think so. I, I, in order for us to say, I need to repent of this, and Christ, yeah. I need you. Right. Well, let me say for sure the brokenness is necessary. Right. The humility is necessary. And for most of us, without those situations, we don't get to that place. Yeah. We feel strong in ourselves. And if we feel strong in ourselves, we don't rely on him. Yeah. And if we are broken, we've got nothing left. And if we've, done, if we've continued to sin and things have been going well, you know, Absolutely. what reason do we have, have then? I've gotten away with right. it, right? So how do people end up in affairs? You right. know, you know, you start out with lustful thoughts right. that are already going a bad direction. And I, I'm not and getting start, caught with that, so why yeah. don't I take it to this level? And, and it's this level. usually not conscious, right. but we just continue to go along. And then it becomes an emotional dalliance right. where, you know, I would never cheat on my wife or my husband, but I've got this, you know, flirtatious relationship right. at work or right. different things like that. and. Because nothing seems, there are always consequences, but we don't always see them. Mm-hmm. So because it doesn't get our attention, then it progresses. Mm-hmm. Sin is always going to progress. We talk about that with addiction, that pornography is a progressive sin. Right. Um, uh, you know, alcoholism, substance abuse, these are right. all progressive right. things. Uh, eating disorders, all these right. kinds of things right. are progressive. But it's not that they're different than anything else. Sin is progressive. But right? it's, we were talking about before we started recording. There's a fly trying to get in my, in my face. I um, see that. We used to deal with the fly. Um, I've had the fly in my it, head. In our movie. fancy, expensive studio here. <laughs> She's going, help me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we start off doing these things, and there might be, like you said, there might be consequences, but they're small enough to ignore. Yeah. And then there's going to come a point where you might have started out with something really small and the consequences, the big consequences of it are going to come later because you ignored all these smaller consequences and didn't make a change at the time. Absolutely. And, and consequences like baby dragons tend to grow. And so if we, don't, if we don't get it, 
early, then eventually those consequences will eat us. We're going to, to, to be over, overcome by them. <laughs> right. And so, you know, you look at how often, whether it's Jesus or James or Paul, we see this, or, or, or even in the Old Testament, we see God working through suffering. Mm-hmm. Suffering is a given. Suffering exists because of sin, but God uses suffering ultimately to build us but in the process of building us almost inevitably before we get to that place it's to break us and if we don't everything in our life is given to bring us to the cross and once we've come to the cross and and accepted and received christ as our savior then to conform us to his image both of those things require humility and brokenness we in our humanness in our in our humanistic mentality we think being broken is bad you can see that on social media all the time that you know broken is something we overcome but the biblical perspective is just the opposite broken is the goal broken is the destination we want to get to and if we can stumble uh, and and stumble over christ to the place where we're on our face before him then we don't get crushed when he falls on us right we need to get to this place where we are drawn to the cross. When he, he pulls us in and we're, to, to borrow from the song, sweetly broken, that we can finally see in ourselves we are dirt. It's only him. And every person from the highest of wealthy rulers to the lowest person in abject poverty uh, the deepest, darkest sinner on death row, every single one of us has to get to that broken place where I, I realize I don't have control. I never had control. Uh, every time I control things, it's sin. Mm-hmm. It's my own thing. And it's, you don't even really have control anyway. And you don't. <laughs> but, but, you know, we always rail about free will, all right. these debates about God's sovereignty and free will. Luther nailed it. It's our, our will is in bondage. Every single time we make a choice of our own, on our own, apart from God moving us into that choice, it's sinful. Even by definition, it's sinful because when we do things without God, that is contrary to the the very purpose for which we were created. So we need to ditch all of this free will pride, all of this idea that I, I have some sort of control in this life and get on our faces before the cross as soon and as long and as low as we can so that we can receive the grace of God just like this woman who is behind Jesus at his feet as he's reclining at the table and she's pouring out her tears on him and if we're not willing to go there then I don't know that we can have any part of him I think that's where it starts you did say you were going to get fired up at some point during that. I did say that, yes. I think that's actually a, a good visual to keep in people's minds as we end this. I don't think it gets much simpler than that. So I'll leave it at that, and thank you, thanks for listening. <laughs>